Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. We are wrestling with the question, how do you find joy? And I want to say just on a personal note, I am grateful and honored at so many of you that have reached out to me through a text or through an email, just sharing with me your hope for this series because you share with me the situation that you're in right now, the season that you're in, and you're struggling to find joy in that. Well, like the video that you just saw, it is possible to have joy. And the difference that we established last week is that joy and happiness are two different things. That joy and happiness are not the same thing, even though we'll use the words interchangeably. See, here is what happiness is. Here's a definition. Happiness is based on happenings. That's very common for us. You're happy because of what's happening to you. You're happy because you've got the job. You're happy because the relationship's going right. You're happy because your children are behaving. You're happy because everybody was able to make it to Christmas. You're happy because your health is good. You're happy, and we have all this happening. It's based on our happenings, our circumstances, and therefore it equates to happiness. And yet, last week we shared the statistics that even though America is currently enjoying the most wealth that any nation has ever seen in history, and crime rate is low, and the per capita income is up. We're still a depressed nation. So here's the problem. What do you do when what's happening to you doesn't make you happy? And for many of you, that's a real question. Because where you are right now, whatever you're facing, it's a serious deal. And I want to say, like I said last week, that no matter what situation you're in, I'm not trying to make light of it. Because I know it's real. And I know it's something that you're wrestling with. And I know it's something that is stealing your joy. And we're going to talk about that. So as we go through this, what I want to hear is not so much my words, but the words of the ones from the video that you just saw, the Apostle Paul. The ones who is able to write to us and talk about joy, even when you see that he is surrounded In a prison. And he's chained up. See Paul. Paul was a a rising person. In the Jewish faith. And if you needed a pedigree. Paul had a pedigree. Paul had everything that you and I. Would possibly want. As far as here's my career. Here's my success track. Here's where I'm headed. Paul had all of that. He was so zealous, in fact, that he was even given the authority to go around and persecute these new believers called Christians and try to squash that movement before it ever began. Until one day, he is traveling with the very intent to persecute Christians and to go and root them out and expose the church he encounters the risen Lord Jesus. And that encounter flips his life upside down. 
And one of the ways that can't be understated is that it takes Paul from having a success track to having a suffering track. When you start following his career from there on out, it is a career that would, from the outside looks like it's spiraling downward. And for Paul, he is now going to suffer and endure persecution and beatings and shipwrecks and sickness and imprisonment. And so, after traveling around and building churches and spreading the gospel, Paul finds himself in prison. Now, there's some debate as to which prison he's in. I believe he's in Rome. I believe he's in Rome, and he's not sure what the outcome is going to be. But Paul is chained, perhaps chained 24 hours a day, perhaps even with a guard next to him, chained to him, since he's a high-value prisoner. And prison worked real different in those days. If you were in prison, it was up to your loved ones to supply the financial resources so that you could eat. I mean, that's how the system worked. You talk about saving the state a buck. This is how they did that. And so the church in Philippi knows of Paul's imprisonment. And so they take up a collection and they send it with a man named Epaphroditus to both encourage Paul and practically just take him this money so that his care for, his well-being, his at least supply of daily food would be purchased and provided to him. And so what we have in this letter is we have a thank you note that Paul wrote and sent back with this man Epaphroditus And this is what we have. And this is where he talks about joy and Paul describes this. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to the letter of Philippians. And perhaps you're using one of our scripture journals. And I think we may have sold out of these. And so if you didn't get a chance to get one and you still want one, shoot me an email this week. And we'll see what we can do to get get some more in. But I'm so grateful that so many people are grabbing a hold of this resource and using them. We're going to be in chapter 1 of this letter, this thank you note that Paul sent back. And what I want to do is I want to take a section of it apart. I want us to look at the ways that Paul's joy could be stolen, or as I'll call, have a joy killer, and some ways that he is encouraging us to find our joy in spite of our circumstances. So let's begin. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me... Okay, now that happened again. Remember, Paul's not by the pool. He's in prison. What's happened to me is that he's been falsely accused of sedition. And he's now in prison for it. And he's suffering for it. And yet he says, I want you to know what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were in jail, suffering... And remember, Paul does not know his outcome. And so he is experiencing, he's not at the end of the suffering, he's in the middle of the suffering. 
And as you know, the middle of the suffering is the most difficult place you can be. Because why? Because you feel completely out of control. And so here's joy killer number one. Is that when you don't feel in control. When you cannot control the outcome. And so you're in a situation where it's with your health. And the doctors have used all kinds of big words and it's all scary and you feel out of control. You're in a situation where a loved one, they've made choices. And now your situation is out of control and you can't control the outcome. Again, remember, happiness wants us to come and try to be in control of the outcome. Paul is in a situation where, as he writes, and you're going to see he's going to kind of go back and forth. He doesn't know whether this is going to end up in his release or end up in his death. And yet he still is able to find joy. How is it possible that Paul can be in change, out of control, and he's still able to find joy? See, what, what I want to ask in that moment is, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Well, God, what did I do to deserve this and fill in the blank with whatever your struggle is? And, and here's Paul, that if anybody had a case to be made, Paul could say, God, I, I gave up my former career. This one doesn't pay so well. I've had challenges And struggles every step along the way. I've gone without often. And now here I am on false charges. I'm in prison. Why is this happening to me? See, Paul's going to change the question. Paul's not going to look at that. But here's a new question. That Paul wrestles with. This is the one that I want you to have. What can God do through me. Through this. See. We're all tempted to say. Why is this happening to me? And there may be. All kinds of answers to that. But there's a basic one. Because it is. And Paul says. I'm not going to wrestle with that question. That's dead end. And even though I can't control the outcome. I know who does control the outcome. I know that my deliverance is not based in my circumstances, but is based in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he changes the question and says, what can God do through me through this? And look at what he pointed out. Go back into the very verses that we just looked at. Paul says, I want you to know that my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. Because I'm in these chains... I know of brothers and sisters that are more bold in preaching Christ. Now, is that a perspective change or what? Paul says, God, what can you do through me, through this situation? How can this be for your honor and for your glory? And he finds joy in knowing that he's in change, but the gospel cannot be chained. And so he puts his hope and faith there and starts seeing what God can do through that. And not only is he hearing about brothers being more uh, bold because of that, he catches the line about the imperial guard. This is Caesar's praetorian guard. 
This is the elite. This is the ones that protect Caesar. The one that claims to be Lord. And Paul says that throughout the entire guard, they know while he's in chains. They know what he's there for. And so, even though this wasn't Paul's plan, he now is able to preach to the very people that guard Caesar. Is that incredible? I mean, think about it. Every day at shift change, a new Roman centurion shows up, and he's probably going to be shackled to Paul, and Paul looks at him and goes, Ha, ha, ha. I'm not chained to you. You're chained to me. Welcome to the most intense Bible study you've ever had. I mean, you talk about a captive audience. The question is, who's the captive? Because Paul's not saying, why is this happening to me? He's saying, what can God do through me through this? And that can be a joy filler for you instead of a joy killer if you would wrestle with that. Here's another one, Philippians 15 through 18. He goes on. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Do do you understand the situation? I mean, if you understand the situation, his words are almost crazy. He, He acknowledges that he's in jail, and while he's in jail, there's some other would be preachers out there that are using that to their advantage. Claiming to be a better preacher than Paul. That if he was the right man, he wouldn't be in prison. And they are bolstering their own bio, their own resume, on his suffering. Now, there's some low things you can do, but that's pretty low. And Paul still says, I rejoice. And why does he rejoice? He rejoices... Because the gospel is still being preached. So here's joy killer number two. Comparing your situation to others. Now, there's not a person in here I know that's going to argue with me on that one. Because we just all do that, don't we? And get, this is one of the places, and I, I, I am in favor of social media, but this is one of the places that social media does not help us. Because there are studies show that you can feel far more depressed and anxious after spending a few minutes on social media, especially something like Facebook. And what's the reason? Because you get to see how perfect everybody else's life is and with all the great filters that we can put on it. And you start knowing that your own life stinks, right? I mean, you did not have for breakfast the croissant that they had for breakfast. Okay? Your kids are not as pretty as their kids. They don't behave as well. 
Their kids are all-star. They're reading at a college level in the third grade. You've got no chance. Right? And just spending a little bit of time, okay, I, I get this. I, I know what it's like to see what some of my other ministry students that I was in school with, what they're out there doing, what their church is doing, and it just looks so good, and they get to go speak at this place or speak at that place, and suddenly you go, oh, I must have missed the boat somewhere. And you look at their marriage, and you look at their job, and you look at their house, and you see that newly remodeled kitchen, and you look at that new car, And suddenly you start feeling like, I have blown it. Why is this happening to me? You may not be aware of this, but Instagram, the social media that uses the photos, if you don't know what that is, ask a teenager, they'll tell it to you. Instagram is running a test case right now where they're taking away the option to like a photo. Because they're aware of adolescent depression rates are going up because it's a comparison game on which photo gets the most like. And they're finding so much value, self-worth and value in their number of likes in that photo. That Instagram And Instagram was based on the system. They're running a test case right now, taking that feature away to see if they can help mitigate some of the depression that comes from using that service. So here's Paul. Paul looks around and he should have be full of self-pity. And he looks at all these other guys that are building themselves up based off of his situation. And yet he still doesn't get bitter. He still says, I'll rejoice because here's the joy filler number two. Paul doesn't look around. He chooses to look up. Paul chooses to not play the comparison game. Instead, he looks up at the one that he's following and living his life for and is his purpose. And when he looks there, he sees, hey, whatever happens to me, the gospel's still being preached. And in that, I'll rejoice. And he's so connected to that purpose and to that focus and to that person of Jesus that when he looks up, he can rejoice because his joy is not found in a comparison to others. Going on, Philippians 18, I mean, Philippians 1, verse 18, 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul, in this one, joy killer number three is this one, thinking that you're alone. And that would be so easy for Paul. Because remember, he's a long way from home. He's a long way separated from this close community that he has. He doesn't get to go every Sunday and be encouraged by this church that he loves. And it's in a day when Communication was not instantaneous. Nobody could send Paul a text with a smiley emoji saying, hang in there. And so he feels cut off. And day after day after day after day, even though he's enjoying preaching the gospel to the centurions, it's a different one each time. And 
he's not connected to them in a spiritual sense of somebody that's encouraging him. So he's alone. And his prison walls start to feel like a prison. And I know that whatever you're experiencing begins to feel like a prison. And it isolates you. Now, you may be in crowds of people, but you still feel isolated. You still have that moment where you wake up at 2 and 3 in the morning and the darkness just feels like it's suffocating you and you wonder, does anybody care? Does anybody know I feel so alone? And so what does Paul do? He tells them, thank you for what you've done for me as far as the money. But I want to thank you for your prayers for me. Because for Paul, prison walls have never been able to keep out the prayers of Jesus' followers. And even when you feel at your loneliness, that may be the time that somebody's praying for you out there. And perhaps what we need to be better at is letting people know, I'm praying for you. Even if it just comes in a text message or a quick note or a quick phone call. Hey, I just want you to know that for this season, for this week, for this day, tomorrow, whatever it is, I'm praying for you. Think if you were to receive that out of the blue, even in some of your darkest moments. If, if you were in one of your darkest moments and you feel like the prison walls have closed in on you and nobody can reach you and it's all anxious and it's all dark and you received a text message that says, just want you to know I haven't forgotten you. You are in my prayers. Now, who wouldn't look at that in that darkest moment and think, that's a word from the Lord right there. Just staring back at you on your phone screen, you received a word from the Lord because the prayers of faithful followers of Jesus have never been able to be stopped by something as simple as prison walls. And so that's one of the reasons we take prayer so seriously here. That's one of the reasons that we make an opportunity through the Connect cards and through the invitation that we offer every time at the end for you to be prayed for. Because if you think you're alone, you need to let some of us tell you you're not. And other people, whether it be in your class or your home group or wherever you find that community, that other people are praying for you. And they can be praying with you. And suddenly, joy killer goes away because you're being filled by the confidence. Well, here's what I love about this. If you would, look at, look at verse 20 again, please. Verse 20. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, that I won't be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Full Courage. What is Paul saying with full courage? Here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that the opposite of joy is not sadness. The, the opposite of joy is not sadness because some of you have experienced this. We've, I've been at the funeral where the loved one has passed away and you're experiencing two things at the same time. Grief or the sadness, but at the same time joy because you have confidence that they're with Jesus. 
Joy and sadness are not the opposite of each other. The opposite of joy is fear. It's fear. And what Satan wants more than anything, when you're in the midst of that prison, when you're chained up, he wants you to come in and he wants you to begin to believe and be afraid that God cannot deliver you from this. He wants to remove all hope that God's bigger than this. Because if he can take your fear, he can take your joy. If courage can be removed from you, and all you're left with is fear, it has the tendency to begin to push joy out. Paul had courage because he was certain of his deliverance. He was certain of his outcome. Not which way it was going to go. He was certain. Because Paul does not know whether he's going to face his execution or face his release. But when he says he's certain of his outcome, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he's certain of the one who holds his outcome. He's certain of the one who has promised his deliverance. He is certain of the one that's gone to the cross on his behalf. And there he finds the courage. Courage comes from knowing the one that is the outcome. We said last week, Jesus is not, I mean, the joy is not found in a possession. It's not found in a circumstance. It's not found in a situation. It's found in a person. It's found in the person of Jesus. And so here is Paul's life motto at the very end. He gives it to us in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is one of those verses that people have wrestled with for centuries trying to understand. What he's saying is is that if if I live, it's because of Christ. He's my purpose. He's the one that I'm going to keep on serving. So whether I live in this prison or I'm released again to continue on the travels and the planting of churches and the preaching of the gospel, either way, it's Christ. But if I die, if I die, that's a gain for me. He's not being some type of martyr. He's just acknowledging that the situation that he's in is a struggle. And and if I die now, I have such confidence in the one that holds my outcome that that is a gain. And quite frankly, there's some days he's saying that it would be better to go on. But either way, I'm going to trust and I'm going to commit And the struggle for us is that would we fill in these blanks the same way? If you're following along in the journal, you've got some space in your Bible, I want you to write this statement down. To live is blank and to die is gain because how you fill in those blanks matters everything in your joy. Because let's be honest, for some of us, it's to live is success and to die is is failure. To live is wealth. And to die is to be in need. And even though we like to be our own made people and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, for some of us, to live is for me to be strong and independent. And if I need to depend on somebody else, I might as well die. To die is to need someone else. 
to live is to be young and beautiful. To die is to be old. To live is to be popular. To die is to be average. To live is to make an impact and have a legacy and have people want to know what I think. To die is to be forgotten. Paul has courage because of how he's filled in these blanks. Paul has courage because he says to live is Christ. And since Christ is the one that controls my outcome, to die is gain. Those are not my words. Those are the ones of those are the words of a man that is in prison and shackled because he followed Jesus. But what does Paul know about his prison? He he knows that prisons never, never, never keep Jesus contained. Because all Paul can think about is there was another prison that was a maximum security prison that nobody had ever broken out of before, and it's called the grave. And Paul knows it was effective for about three days. And then it was shown to be a sham. And he watched Jesus walk out of that. And now he can say, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. We're going to share in the supper now. So I'm going to ask the men that are going to be passing the plates if you would take your position back. I'm going to offer up a prayer and then they're going to pass the bread and then they're going to pass the cups of juice. The bread being the broken body of Christ and the juice representing his blood. While we share in this, I want to give you a question think about. I, I, I want you to have a conversation with God. And, and perhaps you need to identify what's your joy killer right now. Is it, is it the fact that you're, you're comparing to one another? Is that robbing your joy? Is it the need to be in control of the outcome? Is that robbing your joy? Or is it thinking that you're all alone and all by yourself and you've allowed that lie to come in? I want you to have that conversation with God and then think about for you right now. To live is what? And to die is what? And not because I want you to feel guilty about how you feel in those blanks. Because I want you to offer that up to the one that could not be held by the grave. Let's pray. Father, for all those that struggle to find joy, that are hearing this message, I I pray that you would enter in, you would break through prison walls, because they don't mean anything to you. And you would, be with them 
in this moment. As we share in this supper together, Father, that we would be in communication with you, knowing that it's only by your grace that we can find joy. So, Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would bring the peace and the comfort that only you can bring, and that in a very tangible way, both right now and through this week, you would help us to find joy. In the name of Jesus that I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.